as much as we think we're forward thinking as a country, Western civilization, we're hip, we're now, we're the leaders of technology, we're the leaders of innovation. In many ways, we are handicapped in the way that we look at things from a social standpoint. Hey, everybody, it's been a minute and we're back with a bunch of episodes in the can. Welcome to Uncooked, a podcast serving up raw insights for marketers as we hear the unfiltered truth from industry experts, brands, and the target audiences we serve in their own words. I'm your host, Jacqueline Lieberman. I'm the founder of a brand consultancy called Brand Crudo. We have a method of unlocking a brand's DNA to create marketing around the single truth you can own, because no one can copy your truth. Today's unfiltered truth on Uncooked comes from my guest, Lance Lambert. He's the CMO of Grove Bags. Lance has a passion for the details that includes creating the perfect environment to store your cannabis to extend the life of the plant. Today, we're discussing how Grove Bags is bringing new storage technology to the cannabis space while building trust, awareness, and support in the community of growers and consumers that they serve. There's lots to get to in this episode, so let's dig in. Hey, Lance. Welcome to Uncooked. I'm so glad to have you on the pod today. Thanks. It's a pleasure being here. I appreciate it. All right. I'm going to introduce you as best as I can to the audience that you are the chief marketing officer of a company in the cannabis space called Grove Bags. And these are bags that are custom designed around the unique properties of the cannabis plant, which means it's controlling humidity to form the perfect cannabis climate. Did I get that right so far? Yeah, that's spot on. Humidity is definitely one of the factors, but we really do create that perfect atmosphere for both cannabis and hemp, ultimately. So are you like on a mission as a company to like get rid of basically having people put their cannabis in plastic bags that you would put in your apples in the produce section or something? Yeah, 100%. So it's funny you mentioned the produce section because that's one of the few places that mainstream actually comes in contact with passive atmospheric solutions in the packaging space. So when you see grapes, lettuce head, even buttered lettuce that comes in a certain environment or case, that's very similar to our technology in that it is trying to create that perfect atmosphere for that biomass. Because once it's taken from its life force, degradation begins. Right. So that really is our goal. People no longer using, you know, grandma's jelly jars for storing their flour or mom's sandwich bag for your peanut butter and jelly. That's the kind of packaging that we're trying to get away from. Not two bags are created equal in that regard. I really am a big fan of our founder and CEO. His name's Jack Grover. He did really establish a passion for cannabis to help his older brother, who has some health issues that he found traditional medicine or Western medicine wasn't quite helping him with. So that's how he really embraced the plant. And then realizing that as an advocate for medicinal reasons first, there really wasn't a proper solution to really maintain cannabis in that perfect pre-consumption state. The traditional popular things, if you're on the grower side, it was usually like turkey bags, which is a nylon-based bag that really allows too much transient oxygen in and out, which creates oxidation and obviously degradates the plant. But then also glass jars. Mason jars used to be a best practice for growers, myself included, for years before realizing this technology existed. So we're trying to help people understand that not all packaging is created equal. How much longer is the life expectancy of the flower if you use a grove bag versus the traditional methods of storage? So in some of the things that we cover on our website, 
We're actually going to be elaborating on that. We're getting ready to launch a revised site here shortly in about a week. But we really put an emphasis in helping people understand the technology because that's exactly it. We do say that we can guarantee up to a year sustaining that original quality and potency. But we actually have tests that we've held in finding that we're able to maintain that up to three years, which is something that's really unheard of, again, when you're looking at conventional packaging. And some of the things, you know, people had good intentions with some of the packaging that they brought to this industry. Also, some of the active atmospheric modifiers. So people brought other solutions from other industries. We discussed it before, rather it be what was used in the tobacco space or what was used in the pharmaceutical space or what's been used in, in the food and ag space. But the problem is those technologies were purpose-built for those industries and categories. So Mylar is a good example. Mylar might be great for our potato chips or our Pringles or whatever else, but it really, again, doesn't do a proper job of creating the perfect atmosphere for flowers. So that really is it. It's the potency, the quality, and the consistency that we're able to extend for the flower. And so that's why we share that not only do we have capabilities with our technology to auto cure, which eliminates having to burp the flower when you're going through the curing process, which is the final stages of post takedown of the plant before being able to be consumed, but also being able to extend that shelf life, which is quite important in this day and age because a lot of people, they just don't keep it in that quality state. Everything goes down as far as potency within that plant matter. Got it. I remember when we first spoke, you said that you wanted to be known as a tech company first and a storage company second. So tell me about that whole genesis. We do stress that we're a technology company first because that's exactly what was applied to create this solution that is Terplock. Not that there aren't other technologies that exist, but in the packaging space specifically of our industry, there isn't a lot of technology that exists. There's a lot of wise tales that have been passed down from generation to generation Traditionally, large-scale growers would do turkey bags and totes. It's that same kind of bag, and then it goes into a black and yellow HDX tote. You're creating these microclimates, as we call them, and you're really not able to sustain that environment and keep it balanced with those solutions. So that's where the technology comes into play. We want to bring that objective perspective, though. We're working to do long-term studies to see not just what the quality and potency is of the plant when it goes into our packaging, But what happens inside that environment, not just over days and weeks, but over weeks and months. And we're seeing that there is that increase in being able to retain the potency, both in the terpenes, which are a major element in the plant, as well as the cannabinoids. And these are the things that, again, give the end result that people are looking to seek, rather it be for medical or for recreational use. So are you selling to growers and distributors versus like, you know, me? Our core persona traditionally has been the grower. And reason being is because the grower was the one who seemed to need such technology the most. They're the ones who are interacting with the plant, oftentimes that are sitting or storing the plant the longest length of time. But it is still relevant technology to you, to the consumer. When going after the grower or the back end of this business, that is a little bit more of a trickle down, right? As opposed to a bubble up. When you go to the consumer, you kind of bubble up the demand to the businesses. We could take an approach both ways, but we always have, first and foremost, focused on that grower. And it goes back to what we call USP or unique selling proposition, which is the fact that this technology can auto-cure the flower, which that saves time and money for that grower, also for a distributor, but then also is able to retain that quality and potency too. So when you add those features, advantages, and benefits all together, it's quite a game changer. 
but for a consumer as well. So a consumer, a lot of people, I would say that you're, I'm not fond of the term, but the quintessential stoner is really a minute percentage of consumers and not just in this country, but everywhere I've traveled around the world. A lot of people, they do smaller doses, smaller increment consumptions. Someone like you or I, an ounce of flour could last months, whereas the stereotypical stoner that might last a few days or a week. So being that most consumers are doing smaller dosing and less frequent, it is more important in how you store that flour. In the old methodologies of putting it in a Ziploc bag or putting it in the freezer to try to store and preserve, they aren't just the most advantageous solution as far as sustaining that quality. So it is still relevant to the consumer. We have more brands, especially those that are vertically integrated. So you have some markets like Colorado, Oregon, California, where there's ownership of that plant from seed to social, essentially. So that one business is planting it, is cultivating it, is processing it, packaging it, and retailing it. They more so than anyone really want to maintain that quality and the potency within that flower. So we see those are the individuals that have applied us as a part of their SOPs on the back end of their operation. And now they want to transcend into CPG or the consumer side of that packaging to maintain that all the way through. Growth Bag's value of creating a perfect environment to transport and store cannabis solves a really big problem for growers. Growers essentially dedicate their lives and are myopically focused on plant quality. And Growth Bags is how growers can really ensure how all of their hard work stays intact. Whenever I encounter a new marketing challenge for my clients, I begin by answering these three questions. Jot them down because they can literally apply to any business challenge. One. What is believed to be the problem, but is not? This question uncovers perceptions. Two, what else could solve this problem? This question uncovers competitors or DIY fixes, such in this case, Ziploc bags, jars. Three, what stands in our way of solving the problem? This question really uncovers who or what you need to outmaneuver the competition. So the nuances of marketing in the cannabis space are really tricky, as Lance is about to share. Let's see how he plans to address his biggest barriers. So do you have like retail versions of these bags? Absolutely. Is this something that you envision that they keep and retain and can they retain it forever or does it lose its uh, zhuzh, which is a total... (laughs) technical term by the way i love that uh after a certain amount of time (laughs) excellent question so we always lead with education here at grow bags because a lot of us that work at this company aren't just advocates but we're also growers or have tight relationships with the plant itself and feel a level of commitment to the community we're in too much of a throwaway society as it is to answer your question It is absolutely reusable and something that we're really starting to push is upcycle. So a lot of people have heard of the term recycle. Mm -hmm. I remember my school high up in Northern California was the first to institute a recycling program in the state of California, which was huge, right? Back in the late 80s, early 90s. But now people are starting to understand that there's a whole other use case for a lot of products and that's upcycling. So you don't have to break down that material, take those raw byproducts and build something new. Yes, you could get flour from your dispensary in one of our most common bags that are made on the CPG side are eights, uh, half ounces and ounces, which are popular increments for purchase. But we're really trying to educate the end user. 
even if you've used the flour in that bag, reuse it almost as your stash container, if you will, mm -hmm. because our zippers are rated for at least 100 use, if not more. And then obviously the polymer itself, especially being virgin polymer, this is something that is very sustainable and being able to be used time and time again, too. So that is a big element in our conversation is stop throwing things away. I love that. There is no throw away. There is no way. Yeah. It'll come back. It's true. So it seems like that Grove bags for layman people to understand, it's like a little mini humidor for cigars, you know, except it's in the cannabis space. Is that kind of the right way when we talk about climate control and things like that? Metaphorically speaking, that's a really good way to put it. It is creating okay. that perfect atmosphere. The same could be applicable for collectibles, for leather, for footballs, for baseballs. Collectors know that you have to create that perfect environment or else degradation is going to occur. Right. So that's exactly that. This is pretty much a humidor for the cannabis flower. The nice thing and beauty about it is, for those that are familiar with humidors, traditionally you've had to use gels or sponges, or there's newer solutions too, where you just drop in a packet or something to be able to maintain that atmospheric moisture humidity level. That's something that's not needed in our packaging. If you put good in, you get good out. Again, the experts on the back end, the growers, the processors, the packagers, they all know this. Let's talk about how are you getting the word out about Grove Bags? And be honest, I'm sure this is a really fun space to be in. <laughs> I mean, it's extremely fun. It is very fun, but it's very challenging. And for individuals that lean into challenges, come join the cannabis. And we're the fastest growing category as far as industries in this country and arguably globally. But we're already at over 350,000 full-time employees that are employed by cannabis and hemp companies within the U.S. alone. Wow. So I'd say if you like a challenge, as a marketer especially, definitely jump in. We don't have the ability to utilize some of the more common facets for getting out your messaging. Rather, be on the push marketing or pull marketing side of the proverbial fence. So that is the challenge I speak of where it's a bit of a game of whack-a-mole with companies like Meta you know, Facebook and Instagram, they love the money that can be garnered from advertising in this space, mm -hmm. but they don't want the attention from the government because it's still at a schedule one as a drug at a federal level. Obviously, there's, gosh, 37 states now that have some sort of adult use legalization program, whether it be on the medical, recreational, or both. So you're not allowed to market on Facebook, Instagram? Correct. Facebook and Instagram. All the social? Twitter's been pretty friendly, you know, as long as it's earned, not yeah. paid media, as we say. So as long as it is organic, they're totally friendly. Matter of fact, I was there in Colorado, crazy, a California kid that, that moved to Colorado to cut his teeth in the legal industry. But I moved out there in 2014. And I remember hosting events and Twitter actually reached out because I worked with a company that also had an agency arm that had strong relationships on that side with Google, with, with Facebook, IG and Twitter at the time. And they actually reached out about offering custom handles and activations and such. And I thought that was really cool for Twitter to be forward thinking. But again, I think if you look at, I know not everything, it's just like the president, there's only so much control at the top. But if you do look at the CEOs of these companies, you're talking about a CEO that was over Twitter at the time that was very forward thinking. It wasn't so conservative or so concerned about the government's interaction. LinkedIn is another interesting one. The former CEO, because they just did a change in the guards within the last few years, the former CEO, which I'm a huge fan of, uh, he was an advocate. He supported it while they were against promoting or advertising. So again, they didn't want to collect the revenue. And I'll get into that just now. But they were all about the earned media. They were totally fine with us using, and, and we use very PC, you know, just to help for anyone that's listening that might have the tabooisms or stigma associated with 
kind of past wars on drugs or some of the stereotypes out of Hollywood, we have very professional hashtags that we use like cannabis community, cannabis education, cannabis industry, cannabis expo. And you notice that's even my vernacular and it helps being a writer where I'm very cognitive of the words I use, but cannabis is the PC term. Cannabis sativa L is that group within the plant kingdom that we reference. So we don't even typically use the term marijuana or weed mm -hmm. because those are slang terms that again, are more so associated with the stereotypes. But that has been a challenge, even some of the, which it segues into the banking, which I said I'd get on. So that's where it gets to be a challenge because you have tier one, tier two, tier three is the way that the bank rates people that are associated in this industry. If you're tier one, let's just say you have a grow operation, you're touching the plant, so you're tier one. If you're purchasing product from me, the monies that I gain from you in that sale, I'm tier two. I'm an ancillary at supplying product to someone who's plant touching. And then you have tier three, which would be an advertising agency that I do marketing with. Let's say MG Magazine, MG Retailer, great niche pub in the industry. If I'm paying for advertising with them, they are a tier three because they're collecting monies from an individual collected monies from someone touching the plant. So this is something that really plays into who can do what, who gets away with what, how money is processed throughout you know, that chain of custody. But it's a lot of things that people just don't realize. you know. And you start talking about the Safe Banking Act, which myself, I've been out in DC before lobbying for that. The MORE Act, you know, addressing 280E, which is a whole other tax implication, which is kind of unjust for our industry as well. There's a lot of challenges as a marketer, but also as a head of sales or as a CEO or as a CFO. Yeah that we're all dealing with and it's behind the scenes and we're kind of quiet about it because we're appreciative of how far we've got. We don't want to rock the boat. But when you have three quarters now of the population of the US that are pro-cannabis on some level or another, support legalization, yeah. albeit the most conservative, medical only, strictly all the way through to adult use recreational, it's time for the tides to change because we're falling behind. If you look at it at a global scale, where cannabis legalization is moving, we're quite far behind the eight ball at this point. Yeah. So then from a marketing standpoint, until those things start to clear up for you, do you have a robust sales force that's out there and doing kind of boots on the ground, going to distributors and just kind of knocking on doors, kind of the old fashioned way of from the ground up in terms of you know, getting the word out and, and trial and getting it in the hands of the people who would be buying it from you? How is that working? 100%. So just like other industries, you know, oftentimes they start out as a community, automotive, real estate, banking, etc. You know, they start out as someone who uh, was passionate about this topic or subject and wanted to create an established space for that. And having said that, you know, as much as we do reference cannabis as being an industry in this country, it is still very powerful on the community side. You know, it's really the culture, the craft that fuels this community, which created this industry. So the whole root style, bootstrap, guerrilla style marketing, those are things that we definitely do still take full advantage of. The trade shows, as an example, we did, oh my gosh, about 76 trade shows this past year, trade shows, events, and expos. Wow. And so if you look at another industry, it doesn't matter if you're in technology, again, or automotive, or, or even in the dot-com or pure play space, I would doubt that anyone else out there is going to as many trade shows or events in order to build their brand and establish their audience and ultimately gain that revenue. And so it is, to your point, very much bootstrap, 
and nobody's excluded. I mean, myself, and I'm not complaining. I think we talked a little bit about it, but just this year alone, I decided to stop and look in the rearview mirror. And I realized, my gosh, I started out in January going to Costa Rica for a convention and actually meeting with the government. I met with the Minister of Agriculture down there to discuss how we could help them as far as maintaining quality and consistency as a segue into legalization. But beyond that, did a tour of England, the Netherlands, Germany, was down in Jamaica, more recently was out in Chile. Most people would say, and most other CMOs and other industries would be like, my gosh, you should be behind the desk. Why are you out there on the front line? That's really what it takes because there is so much of that network and that community that fuels the success for companies in this space. And so, again, that goes back to being a challenge, but it's an investment that definitely pays in dividends when you have your hands tied compared to conventional marketing solutions for marketers out there. Yeah, I see that. That's interesting. I would imagine that while marketing might be a challenge, to your point, with all the legal barriers that are put in front of you, once someone actually sees the bags, hears the pitch, understands it, I would think it's an easy sell. It sounds like a no-brainer. We oftentimes reference the Pepsi challenge, (laughs) you know, the whole battle between Coke and Pepsi and how the Pepsi challenge for the first in history in the early 80s beat out Coca-Cola as number one, obviously in the Cola Wars, but even more recently in the 90s with, you know, where's the beef Wendy's campaign and herb and all these different things. It definitely does make a difference for our product. And that's one thing that no matter if you go on Reddit or if you go on some of the uh, cultural sites or communities, there's a lot of the bulletin style environments where we're so fortunate that we do have the support of the community that goes to bat for us in those environments and says, you just need to try it. Put the turkey bag down, stop using the Ziploc bag (laughs) and actually give grow bags a try. But a lot of people, to your point, they're like, how is this possible? And I have to admit myself, again, being a consumer, but also being a grower, I looked at things from an objective perspective before coming on to this company. And that was just earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And I reached out to an individual who was quite well established in the packaging space, especially soft-sided because there's rigid and soft-sided packaging. So think like boxes and drams or pharmaceutical bottles versus potato chip bags or agricultural, you know, your fruit bags and stuff like that. And I asked him, I said, is this really possible? Can you really create this perfect atmosphere with humidity and with the exposure to light, blocking UV and anti-static. And he's like, absolutely. You'd be surprised what you can do with polymers. And it's all food grade safe, which is very cool. So it does go back to don't take our word for it. Put your flour in the bag for a week, come back and see, compare it to how you traditionally stored it or traditionally cured it. And you will become a believer. I could see a campaign around step away from the Ziploc bag. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly (laughs) true. I think that's great. So what are your biggest initiatives right now? Really continue on the education because, you know, unfortunately, just like there are some taboo elements around the plant and this industry in general, the same could be applicable to packaging. We're so accustomed to just throwing everything away, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's unfortunate that society moved in that direction because plastics were really engineered and designed for all the right reasons. And we can't take it out of our world now. Plastic is here to stay, but we really need to unprogram people from thinking that just throw it away. 
And so there are some fun things that we have in the works with a couple of really, really solid brands to help educate their customers as well as our customers on upcycling, on continuing to, hey, you can reuse this. It's designed to be reused and it has a purpose. Mm -hmm. So that's really going to be a big push in 23. So it's continuing to expand, continuing to be everywhere flower is present. And as much as we support and want to continue to see the success of legalization here domestically, again, just kind of like our education system, the U.S. is falling behind. As much as we think we're forward thinking as a country, Western civilization, we're hip, we're now, we're the leaders of technology, we're the leaders of innovation. In many ways, we are handicapped in the way that we look at things from a social standpoint. If you're just mature and adult about something and take away the stereotypes of Spicoli ordering pizzas in his classroom at Fast Times at Richmond High or, mm -hmm. you know, Pineapple Express or all these shows and these stereotypes that Hollywood created and really just step back and look at it as a plant and as a true Eastern medicine solution, all of a sudden things are kind of normalized. And that's one thing that is encouraging as well for me when it comes to expanding the brand globally, because we have less of the challenges that we do back here in the States. Yeah. We're just so risk averse. And it's just, there's advertising out there that's a little bit risque or it's in your face, but you know what? It's memorable. It is. Because it's telling the truth and it taps into a truth. And you always see campaigns that start out in the UK, for instance, and then gets watered down by the time it gets over here. Yeah, it's <laughs> very like, true. Oh, it's very yeah. true. Okay, that must be yeah. the US clean version. I get it. <laughs> Because of the marketing restrictions placed on the cannabis space, I think it's smart for Lance to execute a bottom-up and top-down type of strategy. This grassroots strategy allows you to build a groundswell of demand from the top, being shaking hands with growers at events, while also from the bottom engaging the end consumer out on Twitter, for example. But for a new product, getting it in people's hands physically at an event is really paramount because there's just some things that digital marketing cannot replace. I always go back to thinking about a company as a human being. As people, we don't pick one method of communication for everything we do. We email, we IM, we text, we talk. We even, God forbid, send a physical card to another human being because the occasion warrants it. We should behave exactly the same way in brand marketing. Choose the vehicle based on the message and the situation, not the other way around. If you want to treat your customers like insiders, the channel is email with exclusive offers or content. When you want to rally the troops, that's where you go to Twitter. Put a human face on your brand to guide your marketing behaviors. It works every time. Let's pretend we're fast forwarding a couple of years in the future and everybody's on board with Grove Bags. They get it. You're able to market to people. If you're talking about feature, function, technology all the time, what if somebody decides to copy you and next thing you know, your sites are identical when you're talking about the same technology that makes you special, also makes them special? How do you foresee growing into a brand that has more of something to say than just here's our technology in our bags? So for one, the technology we have are very fortunate in that it would take quite an investment for someone to be able to emulate what we've created. 
So we're very fortunate in that regard. That's good. But to your point, and something I learned, an individual that I was a fan of back in my dot-com days, I got to meet in person, Mark Cuban. Mm -hmm. It was before the taping of a show down in Hollywood several years ago. And he shared a lesson with me. And I thought this was so funny because I went through a bit of a realization when he was telling this because he told me it was something that Warren Buffett had told him. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense because billionaires are friends with billionaires as opposed to millionaires being friends with billionaires. Yeah, exactly. He said, you know, the, the world is full of three people. It's full of innovators, imitators, and idiots. He's like, you want to be the innovator. You want to be on the forefront. <laughs> you want to be that one that's a leader that comes up with it. It's okay to be an imitator because competition's healthy. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's true. Because what, what happened with Elon Musk and Tesla? He actually, all of his patents, he's like, hey, I need more competition. We need more charging stations. Anyone can rip us. Here's all the insights on how you build a Tesla. He's like, but one thing you never want to be is the idiot. He's like, it's okay to be an innovator, imitator, never be the idiot. And that's kind of stuck with me. So, you know, as much as I really don't like that cliche term, you know, that copying is the best form of flattering, I think, I think that's kind of BS because dare to be original, heaven forbid, but people see a good thing and they want to take shortcuts. We've seen a little bit of that. The goal for me as a marketer is that you can't just be one step ahead of the competition. You really need to be four steps ahead. I would really like for us to get to the point to where we are already established as Kleenex, as Uber, as Coca-Cola. So people recognize that this is the fundamental solution for maintaining quality and consistency in this industry. Anything else is just a knockoff. Anything else is RC Cola, Shasta, fill in the blank, right? There's no substitute for Coca-Cola. There's no substitute for Kleenex. So, Yes. Yeah. RC Cola. Ooh, that's a tough one. <laughs> Roll crown. And I'm by, hey, yeah. I grew up in NorCal. I like Shasta too, but it's not Coke. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Coke. <laughs> Has there been anything that surprised you since taking the helm at Grove Bags? Perception's everything. And from the outside in, every house looks beautiful. But obviously, when you get behind the facade, it could be a very different story. I've been very impressed with how much this company has accomplished and how many talented folks work here. But within the last four years, I mean, this is a company that was a fraction of its footprint just a few years ago. Here it came in, in my opinion, as a disruptor, not just in the packaging space, but in the quality space for cannabis. And they've done so many things really well. I'm a little bit older as it pertains to my fellow leadership team. And I've just been totally impressed with the level of professionalism, understanding, innovation, and collaboration that exists. Because you come into some companies, and if you don't have those fundamental core values, and you don't have that established culture within a company, then you really don't have a true successful company. You know, you can have the best technology in the world, uh, you can have the most disruptive solution out there. But if those things are lacking, I find that it's all short term gain, not long term goal. So that has been a surprise for me. So Lance, write the headline five years from now in a glowing feature story about Grove Bags. Oh my gosh. What would you want it to say? You know, and I'm usually so good at doing H1s. <laughs> I'd say a success that was born from a passion and that really has held true. The story that comes out of Grove Bags is success can be found when you have passion. That's something that resonates within this community and subsequently within this industry. Some of the most successful companies and brands that I've seen, just to be a part of this evolution that is this industry is awe-inspiring. But 
the one thing that the successful people seem to come back to is the level of passion and commitment, rather be to the plant, to the community, or to the movement towards legalization. That's something that will be an excellent headline to a story for this company, is how Scrappy coming up as the underdog, again, a disruptor, having to educate people on rethinking how they package and store and secure their flower. I mean, it's, yeah, it'd be a good one. Definitely be a good one. Agreed. What do you think is the groundswell behind this passion that you're talking about? You know, you can take it down to the individual. I've always shared with people, I've been very open about my advocacy. I'm not an activist. I say I don't, it's not closed fist, it's open hand. I'm here to lead with education, not with enforcing my ideologies. So for me, being a cancer survivor, that's always been the fuel in my fire towards supporting this community and being a part of a company that allows me to support the community. The thing that resonates with me, again, going back to our CEO, he has that same energy. You know, his older brother has a disease that affects so many people in this world that's debilitating. And the conventional Western medicine was not a solution. And so he found the solution in cannabis and helped his older brother deal with his pain because of this cannabis. So I know that's the passion behind our CEO, but behind JJ, who's our head of R&D and product development. Like he is so committed to this plant. And I think he really embraces the enigma that exists because the epicenter of both medical and science study of cannabis exists in Israel. And I've been there and you hear and see the passion of the doctors and scientists that are working with this plant because there's so much more it needs to be unlocked, especially being the fact that it's a plant that plugs into our endocannabinoid system. So essentially we have a full receptor system to be able to uptake this medicine. And so I know that's his passion is the fact that he wants to know what he doesn't know, and he constantly wants to learn. But every individual, at least at, at our company, someone has an angle or a reason to be passionate in the way that they are. And you don't even necessarily have to be a consumer. Again, you know, when we're talking about 73, 74% of the U.S. population that are in support of legalization, you know, there's a high number of those individuals that don't even consume or don't even touch the plant. But the plant has touched them in some way. Rather, it's helped a family member get off of opioids or helped a family member with sleep deprivation or helped a best friend cope with PTSD or with grand mal seizures. But it wasn't until I went through my own things that I stood back and said, you know, it's time to get away from the band-aids and it's time to find what Mother Nature has to make things better. And there's a lot of things that Mother Nature has that we've been ignoring for centuries, unfortunately. Yeah. And so that's one thing I'd say too, is just be open-minded, you know, put down the ambient and look at CBN, put down the ibuprofen and look at CBD or CBG or THCA. There's things that are non-psychoactive that can actually help you with your ailments that are tied to this plant. So it's not all about getting high and ordering a pizza in your classroom in the valley. (laughs) Don't believe the stereotypes that Hollywood puts out there. It's just something I'd reiterate. Well, I think that's important. I think that's great. And we will have all of your links in the show notes. So it'll be easy for people to reach out to you and and contact you. Lance, thank you so much for being on. I think we learned a lot today. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's definitely a pleasure. Okay, that wraps up my conversation with Lance. Here are a few of my takeaways that you can apply to your business. What your brand does for people is most likely different than how you'd articulate your brand truth. Grove Bags creates the perfect environment to extend the life of cannabis, but their truth is rooted in spreading awareness of the natural benefits of cannabis and supporting the growing community. 
This is a perfect example of having a higher order purpose and benefit with practical application. I know Zuckerberg wants us all to believe that the metaverse is upon us, but as Lance explains, there's still a place for grassroots marketing strategies, even for tech companies. When it comes to raising awareness and connecting with customers, putting boots on the ground and talking to the people who are buying your product is always the best place to start. Step away from your computer and go out and talk to customers. And then finally, no matter what industry you're in, find your advocates first. Give them free products, give them a free service or an irresistible offer, and then create raving fans. Because while you're figuring out your TikTok strategy or whatever, your community could be working for you. This has been an episode of Uncooked. I'm Jacqueline Lieberman, founder and chief strategist at Brand Crudo, a marketing consultancy. You can learn more about Lance and Grove Bags at grovebags.com. If you need help creating differentiation, this is what I do every day. You can find my contact info on brandcrudo.com or the show notes. Thanks again for listening.